the uh, songs today being about, just about Jesus and all the things that we know about him and, uh, you know, all the reasons why we praise him for who he is. And I appreciate that because I've been in a, you know, I've been focusing so much on transition and trying to think my way through changes in my life, to life's life, our family and the churches and the ministries that God's called us to that I've just kind of gotten my my focus on those things, and I've been worrying about, uh, which is not necessarily, uh, worry is not good, okay, but my, I've had concern about uh, how the transition is going to affect everybody in our church here, and how it's going to, you know, how it's going to affect people in the community, and just, just uh, worrying about that, con- being concerned about that, and asking the Lord about that, which, you know, I also found out that Paul does that, you know, in his ministry as he, as he transitions and begins to go out and multiply the church that he's always concerned about the churches he talks about the heaviness that he feels for the churches as a matter of fact in a list of burdens that he has to face or things that he's faced in his life uh, being shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and left for dead all those things he also puts in there and my concern for the churches and so concern is probably a good word although in my case it probably tends to be worry more than concern but I've been thinking about that so much that I just have, you know, I've, the thing that we have in common, and we're going to talk about this today, um, the thing that we have in common and the thing that we're carrying on with us in life that should go beyond every transition and every concern that we have and it is, and even the blessings that we get to, get to share in life, what should be above all of that and transcend all of that is the goodness of our God, Right? And, the, and the, specifically, the way that we have experienced the goodness of God in our own lives. Man, you can't, we, we can't get that out of place. And, and I think uh, I've had a number of things this, this past week. The Lord has spoken uh, this morning, spoke some things uh, to me. Uh, well, I'll share the one from this morning because I don't have it in the message, but I'll share one of them later in the message. But one of the things I read this morning, it's interesting, I read it, well, actually I read it yesterday, but I'm doing a, a Bible reading plan uh, that's tied to wearethechurch.com. Uh, if you want to go and look at that, if you're interested in reading the Bible in a year, it's, it is a plan on reading the Bible through in a year. And so I've started that, and, uh, and today's verse was, uh, chapter, was chapter 11 in, in chapter 12 in Genesis. And in chapter 12 is the story, or 11, is the story of the, of the Tower of Babel. Which is always, you know, I kind of had that in my mind is what God's doing there. I've preached that passage before and, you know, I had some, some uh, kind of a grip I felt like on that, that idea is that, you know, they were trying to build something themselves uh, to make a name for themselves and reach heaven by themselves, which is definitely contradictory to the message of grace, right? We do nothing for our salvation. God does all of it. And so God has, is, has to go in and and mess up their language and send them and, and disperse them uh, so that they can't, they see the limitations of their own strength. But this week, uh, as I was reading that, uh, I, I went and read a commentary because the thought that came to mind was, you know, when we start getting too comfortable with ourselves, when we get too comfortable within the context of, for instance, the Gathering Place West, as good as it is, when we, and, in, and in your life groups, where you're, you, know, you know people, you're, you do life with them every week, and more than just a meal, you do life together. And, and the, the more we do that, the closer we grow to, towards each other, to each other. And one of the problems that we've had since the Gathering Place started almost 12 years ago has been 
the tendency for everyone to want to, to just huddle up and hang on to each other and do something, and, and, and we control it, and, and, and it's good. Uh, God started it, but then we, we start controlling it, and before long, it becomes sour. And God knows that about us. And, and so I, I was, as I was reading that passage yesterday, uh, I, I, even though it's today's reading, I read it yesterday, chapter 11, I, I went to Matthew Henry's commentary, and he said exactly that. He said we have to watch ourselves and take note that we don't get so comfortable with each other and building something together, right, which is, tends to be my problem because I'm trying to be strategic in how we build the church and, and how the church moves forward. We need to be careful that we don't get so comfortable in, in that zone that we forget that our whole lives are about Jesus. Our whole lives are, we were created to walk in fellowship and in relationship with him and to experience him working and moving in our lives. And, and all of us, to some degree, have had our own experiences with God through our obedience to him, and God has brought those things into our life that are way better than anything that we do all by, that even huddling together and enjoying each other. So I, I received encouragement from that, but I also want to admonish you, as I will later on in the message today, that... As we start thinking about transition in this new year and what it's going to look like, what this year is going to look like for us, I know what you feel. I feel it too. And it's the feeling to, to huddle up and hang on to what we have. And, and I know what God does when we do that is that he comes, on, comes in and he breaks it up because he wants us to be enamored with him. He wants to be the apple of our eye. He wants his glory and his, his person to be what we're all about. And so we're going to be about that at the gathering place. It is our focus. And I, if it hasn't been your focus, I want to encourage you, along with myself today, to transition our minds and our thinking and not to, to worry about what we've got, but instead to in, rejoice in who, we, who we've got, right? Holding on to him. Focusing on him and getting to know him more. So today's message uh, is going to be a message of thanksgiving, prayer, and admonition. Uh, though we're going to be doing a state of the church address on January the 20th, I'm going to uh, address the church. We're going to look at where we've been and, and, and in the line of where we're going and talk about what the transitions are going to look like, including an affirmation of will as our teaching pastor and and looking at our revised budget, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to get that to you guys in some form this week. Uh, you know, I don't know if we can do that through the Faith Life app. Probably can. But also, I'll send it to all the live group feeds. And, and if, you don't, if you aren't on any of those and you'd like to get that, and you're a member of the church, then see me after. Give me an email address, and we can get that to you. But we need to start looking at that and asking your questions. Uh, because two weeks from now, on the 20th, we'll vote on that budget. All right, so you'll have a couple of weeks to look at it and ask your questions. All right, but the day that we vote on the 20th uh, that we affirm that budget will not be a day of questions. It will be a day of voting, okay? So we want to take, do, do your due diligence, do your duty, and look at the budget. Anyway, we're going to do that also on that day on the 20th. But as I was reading Colossians 3 a couple of weeks ago, I... I was feeling in my, I was finding that Paul's words about this incredible church at Colossae were resonating in my heart. As, as he was talking about the church at Colossae and he was addressing them, this incredible church, 
that the words that he was saying, I, I was immediately making application to my ministry here, the gathering place, and my ministry at Ruston and the places that God's leading us to go, but specifically to this church, incredible church. And so today I just want to take some time. Last week uh, when Will uh, finished up his message, he, he threw in Colossians 3, and that was my go-ahead. It was like, a, you know, I said, okay, I've got to, I've got to preach it. I felt like I needed to when, when I was reading it, and then Will threw it in at the end of the message, and it's the text for today. Uh, so I want to share some thoughts, prayers, and challenges for the Gathering Place West as we begin 2019, all right? I'm going to ask you guys to, to prayerfully consider the things that I'm saying, to try to stay plugged in. You know, I don't know uh, how many times I'm going to get to speak or preach this year in this location. It may be every other Sunday. I don't know. But it may be this, this may be the last time I get to speak to you guys from the pulpit or whatever you call this thing, from the music stand. So I really want to give you this word today. It comes from my heart, and it comes from the heart of Paul for the Church of Colossae, but it really is my heart. Uh, before I say this, let me just tell you, kind of give you a setting of what's going on in, in Colossae at the time, what Paul is, why Paul is writing this letter to the Church of Colossians. There's a number of reasons, but specifically, and, and I'm saying these things because these are specific things that we have encountered and experienced in our church. It's so fitting that that God would bring me to this text today. First of all, he was writing to fortify the church against false teaching. If we've done anything at the gathering place over the last 11 years, we have been refuting false teaching, false teaching that many of us embraced and held on to and walked in, and we were, it felt like chains on us, and it was. We were in bondage to legalism, and, and so we have, we have, God has given us, the, the Holy Spirit has given us a message of uh, fortifying the church against any kind of false teaching. You are prepared if you've listened. <laughs> you are prepared if you've paid attention. And many of you have written notes and you've taught this in different places yourself. Paul was also showing the superiority of Christ to the law, which was the main focus of the false teaching, was that people were saying the, the law was it and, and that the Messiah was not going to be a suffering servant, that they didn't receive Christ as the Messiah. And so, uh, so Paul takes the time to show the superiority of Christ to the law in the book of Colossians. Great book to read, to reinforce yourself in the things that we've been teaching. He also shows the superiority, uh, I'm sorry, he reveals the deity of Christ in the scriptures. Just, it's such a hard thing for the Jewish people to accept the fact that Jesus was God. And so he reinforces that. We spent all of last year talking about uh, answering the question, that, that uh, Philip asked Jesus, uh, how, uh, how will we know the Father? And he says, if you, if you know me, you know the Father. And we spent all of last year looking at what does God look like? Whenever you see Jesus interacting with people in the Gospels, you see God. When you see Jesus doing anything or, or expressing some, some emotion, you're, feeling, you're seeing and, and feeling the emotion of God. There is no difference between God and Jesus. Jesus, is, Jesus came to give us a perfect picture of what God is like, and we've talked about that. And he, he reinforces that for the church at Colossae. And then he writes also to encourage right living. Living. That is leaving the old life and living the new godly life. Paul encourages this church to do that. So by the leadership of the same spirit that filled Paul 
in the Bible days, the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that filled Paul in the lead, by his leadership, we've been led to work, these, work on these same things for the last three years at the Gathering Place West. And so in reading this text, I guess that's why I believe that Paul's words jumped off the page and rang in my heart. It's because, I, and I'm sure you're going to see it too, it's because it, it is, we find encouragement to continue the things that God's already told us to do. And so let's read some of this text together. I want to do three, three things today out of this text. Number one, or out of the book of Colossians in a couple of different passages. Number one, I want to just thank God. I want to thank God for you. The same things that Paul is thanking uh, God for in the church. When he says, I give thanks for these things, the same things are present in this room today. And multiply it outside uh, of this room and other places today today. Uh, with people still on vacation and out. I mean, we have so many people who I can give thanks for in the same way that Paul gave thanks, but also to, to, to let you know how I'm praying for you. And it's the exact, exact prayer that Paul prays for the Colossian church. And you'll see it too as we go through it. And then the last thing is to admonish you to do some things differently. To, to as, as Will's gonna, Will and I were talking about this this morning, about this next year, maybe what the focus will be for the, for the sermon series uh, or for the sermons for this, the message for this year and definitely is always going to include that it's time for us to stop just leaving these things in our head and to put them out in the community, to live these things out. We've got to live them out. And, and 29 of you have spent hours with me, months with me, one hour a week working on trying to live these things out. I'm counting on you. Counting on you, admonish you to do that. So Paul admonishes us in a specific way. So let's look at it together in a short message today, probably, unless I get carried off, carried away. Colossians chapter 1, first of all. Let's read verses 3 through 8. Let's talk about what Paul is thankful for. Look at it with me. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed it did to the whole world and it's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you, known to us, your love in the Spirit. So first of all, let me just set some of the language in here that let you know what's going on. Paul is, has never been to this church. Paul did not establish this church. One of Paul's disciples, Epaphras, is the one that established this church, and he's sending a report back to Paul. But these same things are the things that we've experienced. I am so thankful for you all. I say you all on purpose because y'all sounds like a group. I want you all to, I want you to know that you, I'm thankful for you. Thankful for, first of all, the same things that Paul was thankful for. He was thankful for their faith. Paul was thankful for their faith. It was, it was uh, the kind of faith that resulted from their experiences, their own personal experiences with God. 
And we have talked about that in the abiding cycle where faith comes from. A deeper faith and deeper love comes from abiding in Christ, which is simply obeying what he said to do. Walking in what God commanded you to do. For our church, we've simplified that to the the ABCs. Abiding in Christ. Blessing. Committing to community. Just by obeying those things. Focusing our lives around the things that God has told us to do. But not focusing our minds around it. Focusing our lives around it. These people had deeper faith. And I know that I know that I know. That if God has done nothing else in this church, he has caused you guys to have deeper faith. And your pursuit of God has caused you to, your faith to deepen. As you've walked in these truths and you've been seeking the Lord, pursuing the God in your quiet times, and God's been speaking and you've been obeying what he says and God's been revealing himself in your life, showing you what only he can do in your life, that that's caused your faith to increase. You, you trust him more because you see what he does. It's not just words in a book anymore. It's words that you have lived out and experienced in your life. So Paul says, I thank you. I, I thank God for your faith, and I thank God for your faith. I thank, man, I, I could name, I could go across the aisle from chair to chair and tell you how thankful I am for your faith and how I've seen you grow because you're pursuing God. Also, he says, your love for each other, your love for each other. Man, listen, this is a, this is a hallmark of the gathering place. When people walk in the door, I don't have to ever worry about people feeling loved and accepted. It's the thing that everybody always says when they come to the gathering place, is that they felt loved and accepted. They, they, and they see the love that we have for each other, the, the, the depths of our love. And when they go to life group and they see how, how close we are and how much we love each other, that's a hallmark. And I'm not asking anybody to leave that behind. Man, that, I'm thankful for that. God has given us that. People know that you love them, and they people know that you love each other. It's evident in your lifestyle. Paul says he's also thankful uh, that the motive of their participation in the, in, in, uh, in the work of God was their love for Jesus. It was their relationship with Christ. Paul says it's, it's the knowledge that you have of eternal life. It's the knowledge that you have of all that God is offering in this Eternal life, by the way, is now. It's not when we die. But it's, it's what God has offered us in the way of, of life. That they have had these experiences with God, and because of that, that motivates them to continue to participate in the work of the church. As, as hard as it's been for me to think about not being with you all the time, the one driving thing that constantly God puts in my heart is a, love, is a desire to see other people in other towns, in other countries, to, to have what we have. For them to know Christ the way that we know him. That's the driving force for me. That's, that's what's moving me to be able to, to cope with what I'm feeling in the, in the sense of, of maintaining what I've been doing with you and the the kinds of ongoing time and relationships we've been able to have together. It's knowing that where we're spreading the message, we're teaching people to have the right motive for the things that they do, and that is a a love for Christ, a growing love for Christ, a growing faith in Christ, a a deeper relationship with Christ, and that's what motivates them to do whatever they do in service. 
and listen, this is, this is a, one of our distinctives. And I can tell you, after trying to, to, to plant a church in Ruston and in, in talking to some elders in two other locations about planting churches, I can tell you that this is the hardest thing to understand. It's the hardest of our distinctives to understand. That is knowing God and loving God because of your experiences with God and letting that be your motive for why you do what you do. In the South, everybody's still motivated by trying to earn something from God, be good enough, you know, do enough good deeds that maybe God will smile on me or make my family happy or not you know, hurt me in some way to get the favor of God that I'm going to work. That's the hardest thing to do in this culture. But you've done that. You've done that. I mean, I could ask any one of you probably in the church today uh, what motivates you, and it's, and, and it's your relationship with God. That's what motivates you. And that, but that's such a hard distinctive to give away, and it's, you know, I don't know that it's not going to take years. I mean, we've been in Ruston for a, for a little over a year, and it's still just starting to sink into some of the brains there. Some of you got a lot faster than others. You were set up. But, man, listen, this, this is not an easy thing to give away. But you got that. And I'm thankful that the motive for your participation in the work of the gospel and the work of this church has been your relationship with Jesus Christ and nothing else. I'm also thankful, and Paul was thankful, that what God was doing in their lives was fruitful and increasing. It was fruitful and increasing. And I'm thankful to see that in the lives of our members. I, sh- I share with you guys, and this is just one example. I mean, uh, uh, I keep, I use the 29, which really actually ended up being 28, but the 28 people that committed to, to walk a week at a time into, uh, with me, to meet with me once a, once a week to try and flesh out some of the things they've been frustrated about fleshing out in their lives. But remember, a year or two years before that, maybe a year before that, I made the same offer and nobody took it. That's evidence of, of what's going on in your heart. That there's change going on. And what God was doing in your life is, being, is, is becoming fruitful. And it's increasing in you. And I want to give you this warning of the, uh, uh, about what the enemy will cast into your brain over and over again. He's going to tell you that during this transition time, you need to back off. And I just want to encourage you again, which I've said this already twice since we started working on this transition. You don't need to back off. You need to press in, right? We need to push into what God's called us to do. This is not the time for us to back off in our commitment. This is the time to step up and take leadership and then give this away to some more people in this congregation. It's time to step forward. So Paul wrote this. Uh, this, this letter of encouragement. And the first thing he does is he thanks God. And I want you to know, man, I've, I have done nothing but just be thankful. And as I go and meet with new churches, I'm telling you, I'm, a, I'm probably going to be drawing on some of you for help because, it's, again, it's so hard for them to do this without stories. The most helpful thing that's happened in Ruston has been Kobe and Carla came. When we were out of town, they went up there and just shared their testimony. It lit them up. And then Ashley and Levi come up there and share their testimony and lit them up. Uh, you know, and, then, and now uh, Hal and Hannah have been going up and sharing their, their uh, lives with them, how they walk with God in obedience, and it's lighting them up, and they're starting to get it. And so, you know, I'm thankful that, that I have you guys, and I have the stories, and I have the, the, 
the lives that I can look at and say, you know, there are many people who are experiencing the same thing you're experiencing. And they overcame that and they pushed into it and God showed himself to them. Second thing is prayer. I'm just going to touch this quickly, but this is the coolest prayer in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Paul prays for all of his churches, okay, to be in the, the opening of all of his letters just about. He says, I'm praying for you. But look at what he prays in Colossians 1, 9 to 14. I've shared this with you guys before, but you may not remember it. But in chapter, in verse 9, picking up where we just left off, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What does he pray? Asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing every fruit, or bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to the glory, his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into his, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, so here he is talking about the kingdom, okay? The eternal life in the kingdom are pretty much synonymous in this letter. What he's saying is that you're already living in the kingdom. You've already been transferred into the kingdom. So, so however you live in this world, you need to live like you live in the kingdom. But look at what he prays. I hope you already saw this whenever I was going through it. He is praying that you would abide in Christ. That you would abide in Christ in the way that John teaches us in the book of, of John. In the way that, that we have, have taught over and over again and re-emphasized over and over again, we can't get enough of. Is that, that this, is, this is, again, a hallmark of the Gathering Place Church. Is that we are abiding in Christ. What is abiding? It's a process. Abiding is not just a feeling. It's not just, you know, all these colorful words that have no specific actions tied to them. Like, oh, I'm abiding. You know, I mean, these are true, but I'm, I'm hanging on to God. Yes, that's true. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm going to remain in him. Well, what does that mean, though? What does it mean? Paul tells us what it means. Look at it with me. He says, again, he says, first of all, he prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He said, the beginning thing that I pray for you, church, is this. Great church, church that's really making it happen. Here's what I'm praying for you. That first of all, you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and understanding. Now, that you would be filled. Who does the filling? Who fills us with the knowledge of the wisdom of God, or the will of God, the Holy Spirit? He fills us. He gives us us this knowledge. We are totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit to give us, first of all, a knowledge of his will, with wisdom and understanding. That is, I'm not sure if it's his will or not. Well, then go in what you think is his will. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Work. Go forward. Work. Do it. Because the next thing he says is that you be filled with the knowledge so that what? So that second thing, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which fully pleases him. Jesus told us at the end of his, his, uh, his parable on abiding, he says, I have told you these things that my joy might be in you. 
And that's not transferring his joy to us, but that is that he might take joy in us. It is pleasing to God when we, when we obey his will once we understand it. And so I'm praying, praying that for you. Paul was praying that for his church, that they would understand the will of God with all wisdom and understanding. We understand it clearly and that they would walk in a manner worthy of what they've understood the will of God to be and please God. You want to find the joy of God? You want to find the heart of God? It's when you obey the things that he puts in your life to do. And then the third thing he says is that you would bear fruit in every good work. The way we bear fruit, and bearing, by the way, is not that we don't make it grow. The, the idea of the branches is that they just hold it. it. The fruit grows on the branch, and it's not them that makes it happen. It's the, it's the vine that sends the sap into the branches. That, that, so we're just bearing the fruit. This is the God-exclusive activity. This is stuff that only God can do in us, and when we obey, he does it. When, we, when God shows us his will and we obey what he says, then he's going to show up in our lives. And we're going to go not like, yeah, y'all saw what I did? We're going to go like, what? What did God just do in my life? Man, I, wow. And we tell stories and give testimonies of what we know was God's work in our lives. Paul's praying for that. He wants them to see the work of God. He wants them to bear the fruit of God like the disciples did when they passed out the loaves and fishes, and it was multiplied in their own hands. We want you to feel it happening in your own body, but you're going to know it's not you. You're going to know it's God. We want you to have that over and over and over again. Paul wants that for the church of Colossae, this incredible church, already good, thankful for all the things they're doing right. They're walking in it. And he says, I'm praying for you that you will bear fruit in every good work. And then he says, why? What's the purpose of it all? Ultimately, that you would increase in the knowledge of God. That you would increase your knowledge of God, not knowledge that's, that's just uh, head knowledge, not information in your already weak brain, not, or maybe already strong brain, not just, not just putting information in your head, but he says knowledge that you would apply, gnosko kind of knowledge. It's knowledge that you, you have by experience, because you, you have experienced God in your life and you know him this to be true because you had it happen in your life. Knowledge by experience. So, I, man, I don't pray for you to be better people. You might say, wait, I thought preachers are supposed to pray for the church to be better people. I don't pray for that. I pray for you to continue to abide in Christ. I pray it all the time. If you come to me for advice, and ask for me to give you, ask for me to pray for you. You know what I'm praying for? For you to abide in Christ. I pray for God reveal the, reveal your will to them. Give them clear understanding. Because it needs they need to have this experience with you. They don't need to trust my wisdom. They need to trust your wisdom and understanding. So I'm praying that you will be filled by the Spirit with wisdom and understanding, that you might know what the will of God is, that you might walk in his will in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, bringing joy to God as you do it, and that you might, through that, bear the good works that God puts in your life so you can see it and feel it and experience it in your own life and then have this knowledge of God by experience. Paul's praying the abiding cycle. Isn't that cool? It's not ours, it's God's. He gave it to us, but I'm just thankful that the word of God is consistent in what it says to us. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you right now that you will abide in Christ. It was a strange day uh, when we 
when, when I was fired from a church, local church years ago, 12, 13 years ago, and God told me not to speak to anyone but to, to just pray. And if anybody did catch me or see me and ask me what I thought about what was going on, that my only word that I was supposed to give them was pray and ask God what you're supposed to do. I went away for three days, four days, and, uh, and God gave me a word during that retreat that I needed to speak to whoever wanted to hear and to share with them basically a abiding cycle, that they needed to ask God for wisdom and understanding so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that, uh, so that God would be praised and find joy in them and they would bear fruit and that they would come to know God. And so for, I think, three days, I don't even remember. I don't remember how we did it. My memory's so bad. But I know I came back and we made, we made the announcement. We let, let the word got out very quickly. And before we knew it, we had uh, 800 people at Gwen Auditorium ready to hear this message from the Lord. Of course, most of them came wanting to hear my side of the story. <laughs> And there was no side of the story given because God gave me a word to give him. And it was this. This is, the, this is the secret. And this is what we've been about since day one. This is what God's been telling us to do and, and telling us to be. And so I don't pray for you to be better people. I didn't pray for those people to be better people. I didn't give them a message to, pull, pick, on a, to pick a side and not to act like this person or that person or, or to start acting like me. I pray for you also that you just continue to abide in Christ. I pray that you will never, ever go back to dead religion, to empty religious church membership. I pray that you'll never go back to that. Whatever you do, if God places you in a, in a mission field, which might be another church, that you go there with this message that God's given us, with the distinctives that God's placed into your life, that if you ever leave this place to go to another place, it's because you see yourself as a missionary of God. And as long as you're here, that you're, you see yourself as a missionary in this community, bringing people in to, the, to your life group and into your home to begin a Bible study or to start talking about God and let that turn into a life group. As Will talked about last week, make your home that place. Inviting people in so you can share with them what God's done in your life. Because this is the message that we have to give to the world. This is the reason why I'm going out. It's the reason why you're going out every week. It's the reason why we come together so we can get strength to go out and give this message to the world. Y'all with me? All right, and thirdly, Paul gives an admonition to the church. And I want to admonish you with the same things that he admonishes the church. Look at it. This is in chapter 3. This is the passage that God gave me a few weeks ago that got me started on this message. Colossians chapter 3. First of all, uh, verses 1 through 4. He says, if, the, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life it was, uh, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I want to I admonish you to set your mind on the things that are above. Set your mind. You've got to set your mind. It's not going to happen automatically. Your default is going to be to set your mind on the things that are on the earth. 
Your default is going to be to take care of your family, uh, their physical needs, and to, take, to keep your job and to, to, to have a house, uh, you know, with a, have a roof over your head and a, and a car to drive and, 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 and to accomplish something that makes a name for yourself in this world. We can't set our minds on those things. Those things will happen. God has promised as our provider, he's going to take care of us and give us his wisdom about what we need in our lives. And he, he is taking care of us. He's our father, and he's good at it. We need to set our mind on things above. I got that admonition from the Lord last week for myself because I was thinking so much about how, what, what am I going to do to make a living, and God had to rip that out of me, that I needed to sacrifice the natural before I could make any spiritual sacrifices to God. And you need to do the same. And we talked about that last week. I just want to encourage you again this week, admonish you to put off the old nature. And the way we do that is by living in the Word. The Word of God is the plumb line that's, that we need to drop into our lives. I, I encourage you, admonish you to read the Scripture, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to spend time with God alone in the mornings, to start your day in the Word of God. To let the word of God drop into your life and see if you measure up to it or not. And if not, that you adjust yourself to that. But it starts with that. Setting our mind on things above. We read the scripture. Pray. Spend time in the word. That's the plumb line. Second thing he says, verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I want to admonish you like Paul does to put off the old nature. Don't stop there. Don't, don't stop dealing with your old nature, with all these sins that he brings out, and don't think that if, a sin, if your sin is not listed in this text that it's not a sin. Paul's given us a limited number of sins. He's probably looking around the room and naming them, and I don't think you want me to do that. I wouldn't do it anyway, but uh, put your sin away. It's time, okay? We, we need to put these things to death. It's time to put our sin to death and whatever sin you've been holding on to. Uh, what, what have you, even, even the blessings that God gives us, sometimes we take those things too far. We, we love the grace of God, but some of us have been using the grace of God to move ourselves into sin. We are, we are now more focused on, our, on the, the things that God gave us than we are on God's purpose in, for our lives. So I want to admonish you, put that old stuff off. The beginning of living the word in your life is going to be training your flesh to do what your spirit already desires to do. What I know today is I don't have to list your sin. It's already in your heart. God's already put that in your heart. The Spirit has been convicting you about it. Some of you might have been growing a little cold to that conviction because you've been living in it and enjoying that sin. And, and Scripture talks about that, that, that all of a sudden, you know, that, that sin becomes something that we don't even feel convicted about. But I want to ask you this morning to begin to consider again, not in a focusing way. We don't want you to focus on your sin. You're not going to receive the wrath of God because of these things. That's not what he said. He said, for because of the, these kinds of things, the wrath of God is coming. Not for those of us who have the grace of God in Christ Jesus and forgiveness and the imputed righteousness of Christ, but it is coming, which means God is not pleased with that kind of lifestyle. So in the grace of God, as we're trying to, to walk with God in life, then we need to recognize it's putting off 
the old, putting to death all these old sins in our lives. But not just doing that. We want to focus more on the next three verses. And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no, no, there's not Greek or Jew, circum, uh, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen was. He said, none of you are, are left out of this. Everybody needs to do this. Put these things on. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. So now he's talking about all these things that we put on that all of a sudden, because they are coming from Christ himself, and the Spirit is empowering us to do that, all of a sudden these attributes are all about everybody else. Look at them. Kindness is not about you. Compassionate hearts is not about you. Humility, that's not about you. Meekness is the opposite. Meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If you have a complaint against someone, forgiving them. That's all about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. And I admonish you, to, these are the fruits of the Spirit. As you abide in Christ, He's going to lead you to this kind of life. The more you abide in Christ, you're going to start seeing that in your quiet times, what God's going to be addressing is instead of that thing you ought to be buying or not buying that you're all, all concerned about, God's going to be saying, let's stop dealing with that and let's start talking about your natural life and how much you are living your life for yourself. Let's start there. Or he'll say, what about your, you know, let's, uh, I got caught one time praying a, a prayer for, uh, or saying to God in response to a word, a word from his word that said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I said, well, I, you know, if I had to die for her, I would. And the Holy Spirit checked me up on that. Because I was listening, he said, really? You would live for her, but you, you would die for her? You won't even live for her. How are you going to die for her? Get real with your life. Be honest about where you are with God. Quit telling yourself lies or listening to the lies of the enemy. You're not telling them. He's whispering them in your ear if you're, you're God's child. He wants you to keep living in that old life. Put that stuff away and put on this new life. That's all about everybody else. And he reinforces that in the next statement. He's, he, he's talking about this new lifestyle and how it relates to others. His, his love is the most important thing. True love. Look at it in verses 14 and 15. And above all these, put on love. Above all of them, put on love. Because what it does, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love does this work. All these things that you need to put on, if you just put on love, then all these things are going to happen. Love binds these things together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So above all, put on love. And the word love here is the agape version of it, which is selfless love. It's love that puts the other person first all the time. It's the one that gives, gives, gives with nothing in coming back in return. No expectation of anything in return. Matter of fact, it's the kind of love that gives in the face of a person persecuting and even killing you. That's the kind of love. It's Christ's love. You can't put that on by yourself. Scripture tells us how to do it and where it comes from. This kind of love comes from one place. It's found in 1 John chapter 4. I won't read it today, but I'll quote a little portion of it. He says, the only people that can love 
this way are people who have two characteristics in their life. Number one, they're born of God. And number two, they know God. The kind of knowledge we've been talking about. They have had multiple experiences with God. All right? I know, man. Look, one of the things I'm thankful for in this group is you guys love. And the reason why you love is because you're starting to understand the love of God for you. You're starting to understand who God is for you in life. And you don't have to be all that for yourself and expect other people to be that. You can be that for others. God's changing us. And those, so knowing God and our, being born of God, but also knowing God is what brings that about. And then the last two verses, 16 and 17. Let the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's saying, I want you to keep living in community. I want you to have this rich uh, experience with Christ living in you and, and in one another in community. Living together, admonishing one another, building each other up, spurring one another on, singing hymns together that come from the heart, the, the, singing songs to God that, that actually are, you're experiencing in the church together. Singing songs that mean something, giving thanks to the Father for what he's doing. I want to admonish you, church, to commit to community. Now more than ever, you need each other. You need to commit to each other. You need to work, commit to work together to reach the people in this community. We've spent the year studying what that means, what it means to be in community. It's not by accident we come to this point right now. The whole year we've been talking about what it looks like to be in community with one another. Review your notes. Drop the plumb line of God's word that, we've, that you've heard over and over again. Go back and listen to podcasts. Whatever you've got to do, get these words that God's given us as a church into your life and see if you've made the necessary changes as a member of the gathering place. Have you made the changes that you need to make? Are you living your life in a different way? Spirit-filled community. We need to draw strength from one another. Your strength and commitment is going to spur others on to love and good deeds. I read this passage uh, this past week, and I don't have this on the PowerPoint, but you can go look at it. Well, it's, I don't remember what day it was, but this was in my utmost for his highest, and I'll close with this. Because here's where we are, church. You know, all these things are, that's no new knowledge today. I'm just summarizing some of the things that I'm thankful for. You know, I'm, I'm telling you how I'm praying for you, and hopefully you're praying for each other in the same way. These are things that God's already taught us. And then, and then that we're supposed to be about community and, and, and living our lives uh, putting off the old sins in our lives and taking on the new life that God's giving us, walking according to that, allowing the Spirit to flow, training our flesh to do what our hearts already desire to do. That's nothing new. But we got to do it. It's time to do it. It's time for us to walk in it. I don't know where the 28 are. I, I don't know if you're, are you walking in it? Are you walking in what God's told us to, boot, to do and be? Uh, are you, are you, Blessing people. Do you have relationships with people that are, that are not believers? Or do you have relationships with people that are, that are wandering out there, that don't have a, 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 a focus on God, and they need somebody to speak in their life? You don't have to have a group of them. Just go find one that God puts in your life. Open your eyes. He'll put them there. But we, are you doing those things? Oswald talked about this. 
And here's where some of you are today. John 6, 66. Okay, 666, the number of the enemy, right? Uh, it's an easy way for me to remember this. This is the time when some disciples turned away from Jesus. John 666. He, he was telling them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And, and okay, we're done. They walked away. And I, I think this is going to be true for all of us. You're either going to be, listen, you're either going to be a deserter or you're going to be a disciple. I know you feel like I feel. I know Satan puts both of those in. Oh, he doesn't put disciple in your mind. I know he puts deserter in your mind. But you're either going to be a deserter or a disciple. All the things that we've been saying, and again, I know I'm probably going to be preaching some more this year, but I just got to say this at this moment in my life, in the life of this body. All that we've been doing for the last three years comes to nothing if we don't walk it out. You're a deserter if you're not living this stuff. You're not a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Christ. So Chambers says this in relation to to John 6, 66, which that verse says, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Chambers says, when God by his spirit through his word gives you a clear vision of his will, you must walk in the light of that vision. Even though your mind and soul may be Uh, thrilled by it, if you don't walk in it, if you don't walk in the light of it, you will sink to a level of bondage never envisioned by our Lord. Mentally disobeying the heavenly vision will make you a slave to ideas and views that are completely foreign to Jesus Christ. Don't look at someone else and say, well, if he can have those views and prosper, why can't I? You have to walk in the light of the vision that's been given to you. Don't compare yourself with others and judge them. That's between God and them. When you find that one of your favorite and strongly held views clashes with the heavenly vision, don't begin to debate it. If you do, the sense of of property and personal right will emerge in you. Things on which God or Jesus placed no value. He was against these things as being the root of every for, everything foreign to himself. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. If we don't see and understand this, it's because we're ignoring the underlying principles of our Lord's teaching. Now listen to this last paragraph. Chambers says, Our tendency is to lie back and bask in the memory of of the wonderful experience we had when God revealed his will to us. But if a New Testament standard is revealed to us by the light of God and we don't try to measure up or even feel inclined to do so, then we begin to backslide. It means your conscience does not respond to the truth. You can never be the same after the unveiling of a truth. That moment marks you as one who either continues on with even more devotion as a disciple of Jesus Christ or one who turns back as a deserter. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you for the prayer of Paul and for helping me this, this last couple of weeks, Lord, to just for letting that passage, that scripture resonate in my heart and showing me, reminding me of the beautiful experiences that we've had together at the gathering place. For almost 12 years, Lord, you have, you have been showing yourself to us. I thank you that these people have been so fruitful, walking in your will. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that their motivation for participation in your kingdom's work has been their relationship with you, and that a relationship that's growing stronger every day is becoming more fruitful and increasing. God, I thank you for that. And I pray for our church, for every person here and the ones that aren't able to be here today. God, I just, I lift up again this prayer on their behalf. That you would give them, God, fill them up with understanding of your will. That they would walk in a way that would be worthy of you. Knowing, God, that it brings a smile to your face and a joy to your heart not not because we're we're being good kids but because it brings joy to our hearts and you're happy when we're joyful it increases our joy it helps us to live this life that we created us to live it father i thank you for a church that's doing that walking that way and I pray for them that they would continue to abide in you and that they would press into it more and not less and that, that every person here would take the challenge and the admonish, uh, admonition to be a disciple and not a deserter but to, to just turn up their commitment not to a person not to another teaching pastor not to a group of elders not to a building but to the Lord who's revealed himself to them in so many precious ways God, show yourself to our people as we walk in these things. Take away every excuse at the beginning of the new year. God, a new time for us to start. Let 2019 be a year where we walk with you in obedience, where we abide in you and we bless lost and wandering people in this community. And, and Lord, we commit with all of our hearts to community. We plan around, plan our lives around these things, these simple things. Father, we trust that you will take care of the rest. Build that in us today. In Jesus' name.